Excellent. Okay, so, uh, yeah, my name is Samuel. Uh, I'm a pastor at this church. Uh, this church was um, uh, founded by my parents. Uh, my dad, my father is a, uh, uh, an accountant turned church planter. When I was nine years old, uh, they started a missional church. Uh, and that's a church that is um, uh, sought to love and serve the poor, uh, connect with the broken, and to basically walk in God's love and give it away. Uh, and so we have been kind of thrust, and uh, I've grown up in what we call the charismatic church, uh, and my mom dragged me around to every possible Christian conference there was, uh, and so I've sat under a lot of great teaching even before I knew it was great teaching, but I was there, uh, and so really enjoyed it. I, um, uh, people like John Wimber, things like that, just phenomenal stuff, uh, and so the, um, uh, just for a bit of context, uh, this is my family. Uh, so I am married uh, to the lady in the back. A lot of people think that she's also my daughter, but that's okay. Uh, and, uh, and so um, I have a son. His name is Malachi. And then moving along, uh, my oldest daughter, Alicia. In the middle, there's Rebecca, Hannah, and Amanda. And so that's just the context, a little bit of a context is a, is a picture into my family life. Uh, and by God's grace, uh, we are renting a property, and that is our backyard. So, <laughs> or a little piece of it. Anyways, <laughs> it's lots of fun. So as you can take that down, Isaac, that would be great. All right, I want to turn to um, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 14. Um, we can take the picture down. There we go. Excellent. Matthew chapter 14. Uh, we're going to begin in uh, verse 22. Uh, very excited to... Uh, be a part of the, the initiation of the live teaching. Uh, very humbled and honored uh, to hopefully serve so many uh, leaders in God's kingdom here. We recognize that not everybody's a part of this church, which is fantastic. Uh, and so we want to just allow this to be a time uh, when we can, we can help serve. And so hopefully, uh, I've been agonizing over what to speak. And I don't mean agonizing as in I'm nervous about talking in front of people. I mean agonizing as ensuring as best as I can that what I'm offering isn't something that's just going to uh, possibly convince you towards a point. Uh, I'm not trying to prove anything to you tonight. I just literally want to serve something that I believe Jesus is speaking to many of us uh, that is current in God's kingdom right now. And so I want to highlight that by beginning our text with Matthew uh, chapter 14. And we're going to begin uh, looking at a very unique and peculiar story. Uh, and as I've been meditating on this again, I... Um, uh, like I've grown up in the charismatic world, so I think my first preach, uh, like official preach, was when I was 13, 14. And I actually preached from this text, believe it or not. I think I started prophesying at age one, and at least my mom would say that I did. Probably from the womb, but there we go. You know how it is. But preaching, officially, I think was when I was about 13 or 14. So, But I do remember this text, uh, and I remember uh, Jesus speaking to me. Uh, but what we're going to look at tonight is, is slightly different than what he revealed to me then. Uh, it says this, immediately, which is always a fun word in the Bible, he, being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. 
When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves. And the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said, answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and was beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And so, Father, we ask that tonight that there would be a holy awe as to who you are. Would you cause our hearts to be open? Transform our hearts by your word. We know that this, uni- this night is unique because your spirit is here. You want to witness your life to us in a fresh way. I bless you for every family represented in this place. Bless their homes. We bless you for every church represented in this place tonight. Bless those ministries. And we bless you for this land and this nation. And we ask that we would see your glory in ways that would bend our minds. That we begin to see your moves and how you're moving towards us. Oh, Jesus, we love you. And we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple, couple unique aspects of this story. The first one that I want to point to is the urgency or tone that Jesus makes his disciples get into the boat. And it says here that he made the disciples. The word is, is kind of almost like he commanded them. He almost forced them. This is an urgent word. When it says that he made them get into the boat. And the funny thing is, is that the story doesn't tell us why. And a very unique thing, this, this story, and I pray that it wouldn't be overly familiar with you, that you would miss the bigger picture as to what's going on here. But the way that Jesus moves, he's speaking something about the way that he'll move with us. We're going to talk about that later. But Jesus here, he speaks very clearly and moved and says he made them get into the boat to go before him to the other side. And this is, this is kind of like one of those things where we know for sure that sometimes Jesus asks us to do things and we know it's urgent, but he doesn't tell us why. We just know, yes, here we go. Got to do it. And we, we feel like there's this, well, what is going to happen here? And the second thing is here, he sent them in the boat, but his felt presence was no longer there. And I want to challenge and press that there are times when you're sent into the very purposes and plans of God and his felt presence is not there. Not the way that you would normally feel it. And that can be confusing. Picture the God of the Bible sending his disciples into a storm. He sent them. Disciples didn't have a nice idea about going sailing one day. He 
sent them. And there was an urgency about it. And why he sent them, we see, is he was about to reveal something of his glory that has, that his mind bending is so amazing. He was about to reveal something to them in that experience that it would take a storm to reveal. If we're not careful, there's a tone or a mode of Christianity that can circulate that sounds really happy. In the sense that Christianity should be one of perfect sailing. Christianity should be, it's something that kind of presses on our hearts ever so slightly. Because when we start going through a storm, we often feel like we can't tell people. Because otherwise they come to us and just say, well you need to have more faith. You better just believe a little harder. Or you probably aren't discerning Jesus walking you through that at this time. Because you're probably in the wrong place. And we need to see that perfect sailing is not the Christian life. Smooth sailing is not the Christian life because Jesus sends his disciples into the storm. And if we're building a Christianity based on our own understanding and not based on the way Jesus interacts with his disciples, we've got to check ourselves really quickly. Because there are those days when there is the smooth sailing. I'm sure the day that Peter saw Jesus transfigure Before him, light emanating outside of him, not upon him. That'd be a pretty smooth sailing day. Right? I'm pretty sure that those would be the worship leading song days. But do you know what? To get there, he had to go through the storm first. Because Peter and the disciples get a revelation of Jesus being the son of God. The same revelation, the son of God, the same revelation later that Peter says out to Jesus, and Jesus said, that was only revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. It was revealed. And so this backdrop, this beauty, comes in the form of a storm. A storm that Jesus very knew was coming and seems to have set them up to encounter. The book, of, the book of Mark recording this story as well says that they, the disciples, when they were in the storm, were making their way painfully. And again, that's, that's revelation right there. Sometimes we make our way painfully in the very center and will of what Jesus has called us to. And I believe, I believe many of us are here at the supernatural school because we're not those that are afraid of saying that we're going through some pretty difficult times. But we're looking towards Jesus to be the revelation in all of it. I think that this is a very special group of people that God has drawn here. I was just overwhelmed by even this morning, the, those that God called into this morning's group. Just you could feel and embrace just the love that God has for people. Gospel of Mark records that Jesus saw them from the mountain. I believe that his eyes are here right now. Looking. Looking. His eyes are looking as you're going through the storm. He's not, not there. He's right there. But that storm. 
That storm is something very difficult. It can be a lot of different difficult circumstances and we don't need the kind of Christianity that says, well, you just better have more faith to get through it. Yes, you should have faith to get through it, but to get through it. Very often we have a tendency to want, and it's, it's a normal want, but we have a tendency to want Jesus to kind of just fly in and parachute us out of there or, I mean, or helicopter us out of there, you know? Just get us, get us out of here. And there's a te- there is that tendency in our heart that goes, Jesus, do your revelation outside of the storm. Don't like it inside of the storm. Can you show me more of who you are outside of the storm? You know, one of the, a favorite Sunday school parable, uh, not parable, the Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, talks about the house that's built on the rock and the house that's built on the sand, right? And so that's a really easy Sunday school teach. Build your house on the rock. Build, build, build. And so we build a little house that's on the rock and then crush a house that's on the sand. And every little boy thinks that's fun. So I remember this in Sunday school. But here's the thing that I seem to miss in Sunday school. It's because they'd say, build your rock on Christ, uh, build your house on Christ, and it's going to go well for you. Except Jesus said, both houses go through the same storm. It's not a big mess. See the forest through the trees. You said build house on rock and it stands through the storm. Oh, I thought you meant it stands and watches the storm crush the little house. And so there's this, there's this heartbeat that goes, oh, Jesus, I don't want to go through it like this. And he goes, no, it's time to go through it. We need that kind of encouragement. And here's why. Jesus was going to come to them in a way he's never come to them before. And we need to guard our expectations because there's something here. There's something in this story that is so inviting and so terrifying and so revealing because Hear this, the disciples weren't even afraid of the storm. They were making their way painfully, but I guess they could just boat along. They were terrified by what was coming towards them. They were terrified at the new way Jesus was coming towards them. The new way. They were terrified because they had not seen him this way before. So as Jesus was coming towards them, and that's a beautiful line because he's coming towards you in the midst of the storm, but he's going to come to you in a different way than you would have expected. And our expectations and our fears apparently have the ability to cloud, veil, even block who Jesus is so that they didn't even recognize him they didn't recognize him you've heard it said that the greatest persecutors of the next move of god are the ones that were a part of the last move of god because the new way jesus is coming and i'm not using the word new for the sake of just looking for what's never been done I'm talking about the fresh, the live activity, the stuff that we're all here for. We long to see Jesus move. And in that way, many people that were a part of a move of God expect he's going to continue to move in that way when Jesus is coming towards them 
in a different way. Not a way that's outside of his character and nature. Not outside of his goodness. Not in a way that's this new esoteric secret. No one knows, but only we do. Not that new way. A way that's completely in line with who he is. And is going to reveal more of who he is. But different than the way we might have expected it. Different than the way that we might have expected it. And so we need to, we need to watch our expectations. We need to look at and pay attention to the way that Jesus comes towards us. Because because it's in the midst of that that we encounter what will sustain us. And it's still Jesus. It's still Jesus. And we want Jesus. So if it's more of Jesus, we want it. Doesn't matter what form it comes in. That's, that's, I think that's why we're here. It doesn't have to have a certain shape as long as it looks like him. So it has a Christ-like shape. One of the most profound things about this story that I believe kind of I, that God's been pressing on my heart is, is we're all captivated that Peter gets to walk in the water. Peter walked into greater levels of revelation and greater levels of promise, greater activity of the supernatural. He walked in it. He walked on water. And then we look at him and we go, yeah, but he failed. He started to sink. And I actually, I'm actually starting to believe that the point of the story was the stumble in this. Was the, was the beginning to sink. Because waves are a big deal. And the storms that we go through, Jesus knows that they're a big deal. But Peter's the one that said, call me, I'm coming. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to witness you. Far as we know, the other disciples were going, that's still scary. I don't know that if that's really Jesus at all. That seems more like a demon. Seems a little out there. Peter goes, I'm coming. I'm coming. And so when all the disciples get to watch Peter walk on the water, they get to watch him do that. Do you know what Peter gets to encounter? The God that sees his very circumstance, sees him begin to sink, and feel the felt presence of the God who rescues pull him out of the water. The God who rescues pulls him out of the water. He touches Christ in a way nobody else has touched Christ. And I believe it's that revelation in particular that sets on the other revelations that when Peter encounters betraying his Lord and his Savior, his best friend, when he encounters that betrayal, who does he know is there? The one that comes and touches him and pulls him out. That same revelation Then, when something new happened in Christianity, that in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15, when the Gentiles, the keys of the kingdom, expands from the Jews and goes to the Gentiles. Peter's the one that gets that revelation. The one that went out of the boat, that went and stepped into the stormy, the crazy, the weird, the hard, the difficult, whatever you want to call it, unknown. 
stepped out into that and knows that even if he's stumbling in the midst of it, the God that rescues him is going to pull him out because he's encountered something of his very presence in a very unique way that only comes through the storm. That only comes through the storm. And as, as you study those books at the back, as you study these men and women of God that have been revivalists, pay attention to the storms they've walked through. Many of them lost family members before they ever tasted healing. Many of them walked through huge levels of disappointment. My favorite story, one of my most favorite stories is the story of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther is the one that basically was a part of God putting the Bible in all of our hands. That through his declaration and his challenge to the the traditional church at the time, he encountered such a a spread of the gospel. Now he might not, in a lot of people's opinions, have all his marbles together, but he was brilliant for his purpose. And I love this guy because, you know what in his journals? why Why I spend time in church history is I love the journals. That's my main, main desire. I love the smell of old books. I absolutely love knowing that people have read them before me. But I love the journals. And what is recorded in Martin Luther's journal, right before he gives his most famous words, right before he challenges people withholding scripture, and adding to scripture, saying that you need to do such and such in order for this person to be saved. And he goes, no, Christ alone. That on the night before, he records in his journal that God felt dead to him. That he had felt no presence of the Father. No presence. And he says, why are you dead to me? Why have you abandoned me? And he goes and faces one of the biggest trials, most scary things. His life is on the line. Faces one of the biggest trials in his life. One of the biggest storms without feeling God at all. Yet we know God's eyes were right on him. His presence was right there. And then he touched something of God in that moment that gave him the revelation to sustain him for the rest of his life. You're going to see that in those books. Books like God's Generals are a very gift that we get to hear the stories of these people's lives. People like us. That are wanting something of Jesus. But make no mistake, you can't necessarily get the revelation without going through the storm. By God's grace, some people seem to. Some people live a semi-charmed life, maybe. Most people I know don't. This is a beautiful thing, but it's Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. And so, this revelation, this new way that he's coming, I believe, if you want to know what's, what, I believe what's happening in our world right now, what's happening in our nation of Canada, is he's coming to us in a new way right now. That right now, it feels like there's a bit of a lull. There's activity going on, but it's not the same as it was before. And like the disciples, we have a tendency to want Jesus to reveal himself the same way he did before. But there's something different that's happening right now. 
I believe it's actually by looking back or redigging ancient wells that God's going to reveal the new way he's coming towards us today. It's going to be a recovery of things that were lost, that are vibrant and potent for today. It's going to be stuff that's going to be of church unity where brothers and sisters together will stop looking beyond their affinity of who they like best or who they get along with and more saying it's Jesus that unites us. That's not a new thing. That's what Christians have been doing forever. And so that's why I say when it's new, it's something that Jesus is recovering, but it's still the way that he's showing himself to us right now. It often feels new to us and it's okay. I've, I have had several new cars in my life and none of them were current. <laughs> all of them, all of them were from the 90s. <laughs> and by God's grace, my family got to move into the 2000s, but the late 2000s. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? That's, but we still call it a new car. That's an, I got a new I didn't just get one. This is it's super old now. But anyways, I, I, I had a new car. That's new. That's what I mean by new. I don't mean new is in, is in something completely weird or different. You've got to be careful with that. Because there's a lot of people that will lead your heart astray. That will try to lead your heart astray by telling you there's something new that only they have understood. And we know, ah. Paul says that if an angel preaches a gospel different than the one that we've received... Not going to go so well for that angel. Right. Or the people. <laughs> so let's look at this. Here's, here's how I believe we can check our expectations. Here's how I believe that we can discipline our hearts to receive him in a very beautiful and powerful way. How we can ensure that we don't, we don't let fears of what we don't know block our view of who Jesus is. And this is what I call disciplines of the heart. And for the sake of our time together, we won't expand all of them too big, but we'll kind of overview them together and maybe the Lord will even reveal more to you as we go. That would be my hope and my prayer. And again, this is, this is something that I believe is so important. There are many disciplines we need in Christian life. Disciplines are that which you continue to practice. You continue to put it into place. Stuff like corporate worship, learning. Christian life is one of learning. Disciple is a learner. We learn. Those are disciplines. Disciplines of praying, of praise. There's both private and corporate disciplines that Christians, all Christians, at all times need. Jesus has disciplines. He shows it over and over and over. If you ever want to read the Gospel of Luke and witness how many times he pulls away to pray in a quiet place, even in the midst, in the height of his popularity, when everything's going good. You know, that was a big revelation for me. Noticing that when thousands are coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, do this, Jesus, do that, he pulls away and he goes and prays. Because even he limited his divinity emptied himself of that for the sake of embracing full humanity he needed to get filled by the father just as we did most of us most of us if if we started cracking and we had our healing ministry going we had our stuff going we just be like we got to keep going we just got to keep going it's got to be 60 days of revival we can't stop sorry that was never mind 
it would just keep going. And there, was, there is a pulling away that needs to take place. Not a running away. Pulling away. You just look at it. The Gospel of Luke explains it better than anybody. Just witnesses his prayer life. Everything Jesus does, every important decision he does, comes after a time of prayer, long time of prayer. Everyone. And Luke witnesses that really well. And so, let's look at the first one here. The first discipline of the heart. These are all disciplines of the heart. And the first one is this. The discipline of right response or an open heart. And the theme for this kind of a discipline is that Jesus will always go to where he's been most welcomed and invited. Jesus moves towards right response. And so if you look at the story in Luke chapter 4, we won't take uh, time to do this right now. But in, in Luke chapter 4, there's two cities that are par- or two towns that are put on parallel. And the first one is Nazareth, which is his hometown. And the second one is Capernaum. And it is the, the town that welcomes him, that looks at Jesus and goes, you, we love you. And so this is what happens, is Nazareth doubts in Jesus, but Capernaum is astonished by him and accepts him. Nazareth is familiar with Jesus, but Capernaum fully accepts Jesus. Nazareth, as far as we know, produces no disciples. Capernaum is filled with the testimony of Jesus. Nazareth drives Jesus away. Capernaum becomes Jesus' home base. There is a familiarity that can come with the ways and even the people of God that he's placed around you that will hinder your ability to receive what Jesus has for you, that will blur your opportunity to see what Jesus has for you. Familiarity with the Bible says in Proverbs, familiarity breeds contempt. If you're familiar with the people, ah, that's just that person, what good could they ever say? That's what they said about Jesus. They said, we know his father. We know that he's a carpenter's son. We know his, his brothers and sisters are here with us. And they look at him and they're familiar with, his, they're familiar with him or over familiar. And they miss the revelation of who God is. But Capernaum goes, we want you. And Jesus goes there. We want to be a place of hungering for Jesus. How he wants to come to us. Bill Johnson once said that one of the most inviting proverbs that he ever read was the, to, the, um, to the hungry, even bitter things taste sweet. But to the satisfied, even the bitter tastes like honey or something like that. Anyways, I'm just doing off the top of my head there, this part. But, but it never left me. Because he underlined it in his Bible. And when I was listening to one of the sessions here uh, years ago, that's never left me. Is Bill Johnson's hunger for the presence of Jesus in whatever form Jesus wants to show himself. Because to the hungry, all things are sweet. You want to cultivate that receptivity. And that's a heart receptivity. Because you can go through the motions, but your heart can be far. Your heart can be far. It can be overly familiar. And you can begin to despise the very way that Jesus has life for you. Coming out of, uh, coming out of Bible college, um, I had about five different church job offers. One of them was in Summerland. 
And one of them had a house attached to it. That's, for coming out of Bible college, that's a happy day. Do you know what I heard Jesus tell me to do? Stay at the church that I was born into. Stay with ministering with my family. Where it was unpaid and people were very familiar with me. Where people would go, that's just Sam, what does he even know? And Jesus said, don't even try to convince them. Just serve. Just love. Years and years working as a, uh, tried to work as an electrician, hated that. But anyways, uh, worked at a box factory, uh, worked as a business consultant or for a business consultant rather. Did things like that, constantly in a place, knowing that Jesus called me to work alongside of my parents to serve them. Not because I had nowhere else to go. Not because I had nowhere else to go. And that's something not of a uh, tooting your own horn. That's to invite you into my life and invite you into your own experiences. Because there are very many people in this room that are in the place Jesus has called them to be and it's not because they wanted to be there in the first place. It's not because they were like, oh, that's my pick. That's my pick. I mean, there are places right now, I should make a phone call, they'll go, we'll hire you right now. I'll take you. Why? Because it's not your hometown. Hometown, they're like, who are you? Out there, they're like, we want you. Outside of hometowns, right? Do you hear what I'm saying? But that's like us. You got to be careful though. You got to be careful with the people that you've grown up with. They're the people often that God wants you to witness his greatest life through. They are. That's the way it is. Jesus walked with 12 disciples and it was them that had to contend for revelation together. You think for a minute they didn't have stories on one another? (laughs) Think for a minute they wouldn't have been overly familiar? You read the gospels. There is familiarity in those words. They say, well, Judas was hiding the money anyways. All the way through the Gospels. Say, you knew? They're like, ah, it's Judas, what a guy. John, the beloved disciple, talks about winning races every single time he can. Every time. Just just so the record shows for all of eternity. (laughs) I won. Like that's, there's, there's familiarity there. The disciples were all grumbling together after they heard James and John ask for the very best place in the kingdom of God. Like, stupid James and John. <laughs> Familiarity. And yet, what does Jesus do? It's you guys. You guys are all going to work together. You guys are all going to be together, and my life is going to be witnessed through you guys together. Oh. Oh, I get it. Familiarity is a very dangerous thing. And Jesus gives two examples, both I encourage you to look at. The two examples in this text is the story of Elijah the prophet who goes to the widow at Zarephath and Elisha going to Naaman for Naaman to be healed. And Jesus says this, says, were there not many widows in Israel at that time? And were there not many lepers in Israel at that time? familiarity he's talking about being familiar and missing the very works of god so you can long for the works of god and think that it's more special in other places or you can witness the works of god in the very places that he's planted you and that's what i'm holding on to and contending for it's not about going to other places necessarily now sometimes he calls you And you better go. And sometimes it gets really stormy there. 
friend of mine, a young friend of mine uh, that, that grew up in, in uh, an, our youth ministry, um, he had a dream of going to the, the worship center of the world. And a lot of you would think that that's Bethel, but for him it was Hillsongs. And, uh, and, and I'm not making fun of anything. I'm just saying that was his dream. That was his dream was to go there. And he just saved and saved and saved. And he was so excited to go and be in where all of that Jesus has impacted his heart so much through Hillsong's worship. And they've done such a wonderful job. Worship that's impacted my life. And he went there and Jesus brought him through storm after storm after storm. And he came back and he's like, Sam, think I was supposed to go there? I'm like, yeah, I like you better now. But there was, he came back, like, I believe that he's going to be a legendary kind of worship leader. And, and, but when I say legendary, I don't care if that means famous across the world. He had a different sound of worship because he's had a different revelation of Jesus through storms. Going to the very place he thought he was supposed to go, which I believe Jesus called him to. And so you got to be careful with familiarity. And so that's the discipline of your heart is right response. It's going into the place that you, the churches that you live in right now where you're going, I just want Jesus to move. I want him to do something spectacular. Start witnessing what he's doing there and not despising the place that you're in. Start witnessing. How is he going to do it today? What's he coming towards today? How do I get to be a part of that? Jesus says the only way you get to keep your life is if you lose it. Give away the very things that you have. So instead of going, how is it going to work for me? We go, how are we going to give it away? How can we be part of this? How are we going to just attest to the love of God? And keep our hearts open and receiving. And even if it's the same person that's given the same prophetic word 20 Sundays in a row. Go, Jesus, what are you saying today? And how are you moving? How are you witnessing yourself to me and to this church? The next one is discipline of anticipation. Discipline of anticipation. And the story in Luke chapter 2 explodes with prophetic. I wish I could just like, take you through the whole book of Luke as to how charismatically beautiful it is. But again, that's one of the greatest things. The book of Luke and Acts is our charismatic awesomeness, if you will. Uh, it's just phenomenal how it explodes with prophecy explodes with prophetic activity, angelic revelations. That's where we all want to be, at the coming of Christ. And it says this, that there was two people in particular that I want to draw attention to. Two people are Simeon and Anna. And they're both older. And they've both lived a lot. And they've both lived through moves of God in the past, if you will. And they're both holding on to a promise they have not yet received. Very important for the Christian life. They're holding on to the promise. And guess what these two most beautiful people in the Bible get to see? The very thing Israel missed. They get to see the Christ, the Messiah. And they saw him the way he came to them as a baby. They didn't, the Israel was waiting. Make no mistake. It's very important to know history so you rightly understand the context of which these disciples are writing in. Everybody in Israel was waiting for a legendary warrior to deliver them from the Romans so that they would become the chosen people of God yet again. Would come to the rightful place and would put their enemies under his feet. 
They were longing for that Messiah. They were longing for the Messiah to feed them bread from heaven. They were longing for that, and there's a reason why Jesus did it and then took off. They were longing for that. They were longing for the Messiah to come. Except they were not going to pay attention to how he wanted to come. Could they have been afraid? Could they have been despising or too familiar? Could they have not had that openness in their heart? I believe for sure those things came into play. Because Simeon and Anna are the only ones that saw the Messiah at that early point. They're the first ones to recognize. Now the Magi in the East came, they recognized, and the, one, um, um, the shepherds got it revealed, and they were super surprised. They're like, really? We get to see this? Awesome! But the ones that I'm most fascinated by is the ones that held on to the promise, that obviously were in the temple. They obviously had a reason to be there. They were ministers of God, prophetic types. That people would have come to for prayer. People would have come to for advice. They were staples in the temple. They were there every day. This lady didn't even get married. Sounds like she was single for 86 years waiting for this. This is incredible devotion. But it's the discipline of anticipation. Every day they were anticipating. Every day they were looking. They were going, is it today? Is it today? Is it today? Looking around, where are you? Make no mistake, there is nothing in the Bible that says they knew he was going to come as a baby. They would have had to be very attentive with everything all day. Because what if they missed him? What if they missed him? That, that reality of anticipation in your heart, the everyday look. What about the promises that God's given you? But the promise he's given the nation of Canada. The promises he's given to these, this area. God's given a lot of promises. A lot of really beautiful prophetic words. About what he intends to do. But do we wake with anticipation in our heart towards him? Or do we think, well, if he's going to do it, he's going to do it anyways. Yeah, but you get to be like Simeon going, look and behold the very promise of God. He held the Messiah in his arms. He looked and he went, now you can take me home because I've seen your Christ. Anticipation. Third discipline is the discipline of receiving rightly. And I believe these disciplines are ones we constantly keep in check and ones I, to be honest, have to constantly keep coming back to is receiving rightly. And you know, receiving rightly takes, it's, it's in your notes, but takes the right space. And that, there we're looking at the areas where Jesus is pulled away into the desolate places. Picture of Jesus guarding and carving out time with his father. Time to fully receive and get emotionally filled up. Takes the right faith as well. James 1, 5 to 7 says we're to ask God and not doubt that we're going to receive it. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 talks a lot about the Holy Spirit being poured out on us in a way that it delights the Father to give us his gifts, delights the Father to answer our prayers because he's given us his spirit, brings him glory, and brings us joy, the Bible says. 
And in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, maybe we'll check this out for a minute. Luke 5, verse 12. Just want to turn there. It says, while, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I believe that in this, in this story and looking at the way that Jesus comes towards this man, There's a tone in his voice of, Lord, if you will, be healed. He's obviously heard that this is the God who heals. He's obviously heard that this is the Christ that has done many things and has healed many people. But the thing that happens in his heart, believe, I'm not speaking from the silence of scripture in this, speaking from the reality of humanity, is that there's a tendency in our heart to believe that Jesus will heal, but he won't do it for us. We can believe for others, pray boldly for others. But when it comes to us, because of things that have happened in our heart, we have a tendency to feel like, well, it probably won't happen for me. Lord, if you will, be healed. He wasn't being holy there. This is human language. Lord, I know you can, so if you, if you will for me, I'll be healed. And so what is, how does Jesus respond to him? I will. And immediately, I will. He comes to him. He reaches in. This is the God of compassion. It just reminds me of the story of the little girl. The story is put with the, 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 the story of the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years of suffering. And the little girl, 12 years old. There's a parallel there. Wish I had more time to go into it. But there's something of Jesus' language that you see. Is he says, little girl, get up. But that language sounds more like, sweetheart, time to rise. Reaches in gently, carefully, and says, time to rise. Jesus takes the time to expose the woman who was full of fear that she was caught, that she was got healed by Jesus and was afraid he was going to rebuke her because she was unclean and touched him, which was illegal. And he goes, no, he exposes and and blesses her. And in the same way, he does it with the little girl. And he says very tender language. And I see tender language yet again there, uses the man's same words and goes, oh, you have no idea. I will. I will be healed. And he says that. But there's something that can build in the fear of our hearts when it talks about receiving rightly from Jesus. There's something that can build in our hearts. And I'm just going to quote from a, a man I highly respect. His name is R.T. Kendall. That when we, when, we, when we are going through the things that we're going through in life, 
and we're missing the way Jesus intends to reveal himself to us, it confirms our worst fears, our unworthiness or unloveliness, that Jesus will do it for others, but he won't do it for us. That the storm that that we're in is a storm that we got into by our own doing, and it's our fault, and well, if we just had faith or we were more special, we'd be able to get out of it. This is the God of compassion that reaches in towards us. And R.T. Kendall captures this. And this is a journey that has ripped my heart out over the time and made more sense of my life than anything I could, know, could ever give you in a short amount of time. And he says it like this. That God's somewhat deadly, playful but deadly serious setup to let us find out what's in our hearts. Essentially, it is when he says or does the very opposite of what he intends for us to perceive. Three examples. Three examples for you to look at, study, and wrestle with. This has been life to my soul. Is the story of the burning heart, which is our story, this story of the burning heart, which is this, uh, this story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Here's a story that has, I've been spending more time in lately than any other story, but just the story of these despondent disciples disappointed with God, disappointed with the revelation they thought Jesus was going to show up and do. Thinking, ah, oh, he's gone. And they're walking along. And even women of their group have been telling him, no, Jesus, he's alive. And they're like, yeah, oh, here we go, we're done. And Jesus walks up and he's failed to them. Their fears. That storm that they're going through that's an emotional storm hides Jesus from them. And he walks with them. Goes, why are you... I'm just paraphrasing right now. I, can't, I don't have time to go into the whole thing. Forgive me for that. But he goes up to them and he says, like, ask them what, what they're talking about. <laughs> they're like, don't you know? Where have you been? The only person in all of Israel that doesn't, doesn't know? And Jesus does something very unique. He says, after they've been talking, he acts, and he uses this word, acts like he's going to go further. He acts like he's going to go further. And their hearts, the Bible records, were burning in them, and they ask him to stay. And then he sits with them at the table, and he breaks bread. And in the breaking of the bread, their eyes are opened to who he is because he comes to them in the place that they're in and reveals something about his life. Which has actually, that one of that verse in particular has been one of the recovery things of understanding the priority of the Lord's table and my own understanding of the Christian life. Something that we're, if that's how he wanted to reveal himself to his disciples and he said, remember me in this way, we need to put priority on that. Emphasis on it. And so then the story of the overwhelming problem or the storm. And that's the very story that we're reading from. The Bible says he acts like he's going to go further. And he gets called. Mark records that he acts as if he's going to go further. And they call him. Peter calls him. They call to him. And ask him to come in. And then one of the most amazing ones is the great offense. And that's of the Seraphonician woman. Where Jesus calls her a dog. Like a lot of us can't handle that kind of Jesus. The one that calls a dog. Like back then, I'm not even going to expound on how offensive that was. That'd be offensive today. If my wife came up to Jesus and Jesus was here right now in the very physical form and he goes, you dog. 
Jesus and I would have some words. <laughs> like, that would be offensive now, right. let alone then. Now, obviously, I wouldn't be able to take Jesus, but I just mean, like, I'd be like, seriously? And what does she do? She's ex- commended for her faith. She goes real low. Jesus does something the very opposite of what he intends her to perceive. She goes really low, and she gets the deliverance of her daughter. Jesus says something, acts differently than what he intends for her to perceive. And if she would have just stayed in that place and went, oh, I knew he had nothing for me. It's only for everybody else. She would miss the life that he has for her. But this is the same Jesus, the same Jesus, the blind man that cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, turned and went away from the crowd and healed him. Same Jesus. Same Jesus that immediately healed so many that the Bible records heals all that came to him. Same Jesus delays something in this lady's life. But in the kingdom of God, in the presence of Jesus, delay is not denial. There needs to be a greater ask in us. There needs to be a greater trust in who this Jesus is. He is good all the time. We need to anticipate his goodness so that we rightly receive it, even if it looks different or he wants to reveal himself in a different way. He wants to reveal himself in a different way. All of these ones got huge revelations of who Jesus is. All of them. It's the only Seraphonician lady that ever got her daughter healed by Jesus. It's a big deal. And you know what? The, the, the story of, or the, the idea of receiving rightly, I believe it looks like all of them together, all of the, dis, of the disciplines together, of anticipation and right response. And in many ways, the Lord kind of been pressing this on my heart. Um, lately, um, all those little girls that you see up there, uh, they're, they're all love, they love dance. They absolutely love dance. And, uh, and my daughter in particular, she's, she's starting to excel in dance. She just made the junior Nutcracker Ballet. Uh, and she's going to be going to New York, to like Juilliard, uh, for like a trip. She's really excited. Uh, and she's just like on top of the world right now with dance. And I, would ne- I never thought I'd be a daddy that would watch ballet. Ever. My mom used to try to get me to watch the Nutcracker. And I'd be like, just show me the part with the sword. <laughs> there is a part with the sword. But, but anyway, so she, she's so excited right now and she's the oldest. And so all of the oldest of the daughters, uh, she's, um, always wanting to dance. And so we, every night, instead of, I used to rock them all the time and that gets a little tiring and sore and your legs and, and then it's just awkward in conversations because you'll just be like this hey. for years. I just would do this all the time as I'm talking to people. Like, what are you doing? Is it a manifestation of the spirit? Nope. Just rocking. <laughs> Just seems to be what I do all the time. But anyway, so I had a lot of kids, so it's a lot of rocking. Uh, it's, but now we dance. Now we dance. And dancing with my oldest daughter is stunning. She makes me look like a good dancer in the dark. It's, it's not light out, but, but she makes me look like a good dancer. But my youngest daughter, Rebecca, is terrible. Just <laughs> terrible. She wants to control everything I do and wants to anticipate everything that I'm about to do or that she's seen the other girls do. And so she tries to force it all. And it is so awkward trying to dance with her. It's just like, trying to do this. And she'll be like, 
and like pulling around, going here, going there, moving around, and it's not fun. It's not like guys. So after usually I end up picking her up and then dancing with her like this, so she stays put. But even then, she's all like and trying to spin away. And so the, I, the what's happening here with these little girls is I think is a, is a, it's an aspect of, of of what our Christian life is in this is that it's it's much more like a dance, much more like a dance. And Rebecca, my youngest, will learn to anticipate my movements anticipate where I'm taking her. See, my oldest daughter, Alicia, why she makes me look good at dance and why it's easy to dance with her is because she's wanting to receive rightly. And so she stays really close to me and just keeps moving any way that I want to spin her or turn her. She begins to spin and turn. And it's this constant movement of back and forth, but she's constantly waiting for my lead. And she disciplines her heart that way. And when Rebecca does that, she, when she begins to learn what that looks like, it's going to be a whole lot easier for her. But the way that we are in the Christian life is it's, Jesus loves it all. It's not like it changes my love for her. Jesus loves it all. It's something that we're being called into, is to receive rightly from Jesus. To receive rightly from Jesus. And so... One that we all need to spend time with more and more is the number four, the discipline of rest and serving. And that's the amazing story of Mary and Martha. Just amazing story of Mary and Martha. And, and even prophetically, um, uh, Josh began speaking about Mary and Martha and others prophesied about it. And it was just this kind of like, I was like, oh, we're going to talk about it, but I guess we don't need to talk about that now. But anyways, uh, it, was, it, was just, it was stunning this morning how that happened. But, um, but, but here, just to, just to clarify, that a quote that has kind of stuck with me on this is it's by Richard Baxter, uh, and he says this, busyness and laziness both keep us from attending to what God wants. Traditional busyness has often been considered moral sloth, one of the seven deadly sins. And what it means, what he means by that is the traditional busyness of staying constantly busy is actually moral, uh, moral failure. Like you're not attending to the very things you were called and born for. And so, but it doesn't mean that you don't do things. See this miss in the story. There's the beauty of the story is amazing of Mary and Martha, but the miss in the story is that Jesus is condemning serving. That's the big miss. The truth is what is in the moment the greatest priority and we're to have merry moments while living martha kind of lives because martha's get things done jesus likes things done you know another favorite thing i love doing going through the gospels seeing how many times jesus ate (laughs) just want to present that to you humbly present that to you humbly even he got challenged by some of the pharisees with that and he goes my disciples will fast later not now And so, here's, here's, here's a fun one that you can read later, obviously, but. Hmm. Henry Nowen says this, through contemplative prayer, just picking up the quote a little ways down, through contemplative prayer, we can keep ourselves from being pulled from one urgent issue to another and from becoming strangers to our own heart and God's heart. That's a discipline of rest and serving. That's that him pulling away. And my prayer for all of you in this whole supernatural school 
is that you would find those moments. You'd have a lot of Mary moments. Be filled up to do Martha kind of work. Mary worked too. Those are the other stories in the gospel. But Lastly, we'll begin to end with this, is the discipline of Scripture. One of the ways the Old Testament comes into very important fashion for us is it's not just to be done away with or thought it was cute and we just need to focus on the New Testament. Uh, but uh, 1 Corinthians 10.6 and uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. Now, speaking of the Old Testament, speaking of the people of Israel, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did or examples for our instruction. That these things are very life for us. And two things I want to draw attention to, both of which I wish we could spend more time on, but perhaps another day, is how Jesus went through the temptations in particular, the temptations in Luke chapter 4. Jesus actually, actually encounters, he doesn't just, I grew up always thinking that Jesus just quoted scripture. And I guess my mom wanted me to memorize scripture early on in life. So she just said, well, Jesus quoted scripture and that was how he overcame the devil. But there's, there's more to just quoting scripture Amen. to overcome the devil. Amen. Jesus was doing something in particular. He was quoting particular scripture. And he was quoting particular scripture that reveals the very character and nature and goodness of God. And a quote that I've constantly come back to is that of Charles Haddon Spurgeon who says this in his sermon. He says, when I hear about what people about what God used to do, one of the things they say is, oh, that was a very long while, of, long while ago. I thought it was God that did that. Has he changed? Is he not an immutable God? The same yesterday, today, and forever? Does not that furnish an argument to prove that what God has done at one time, he can do at another? Nay, I think I may push it a little further and say that what he has done at once is prophecy of what he intends to do again. Whatever God has done is to be looked upon as precedent. Precedent. So to discern the new things, we need to see the examples of those in Scripture. Hebrews 11, another one that haunts and invites me, is that the Bible says about those men and women of faith, women are included, these men and women of faith, beautiful, says that all of them did not see the full completion of their promise because it was meant to be completed with us. There's a fuller picture going on to the promises that we're walking through. Get a bigger picture of the promises in your own life. It'll help you walk through this Christian life in the midst of the storms because what you're building upon and what God's moving you into for the sake of your family, your church, this nation actually affects it. It affects it and i think it's our narrowness of well how come god hasn't done it for us right now or why didn't it look the way i thought it was going to or how much longer is it going to be i think our narrowness robs us from the joy that's set before us the joy of participating in god's grace knowing he's never broken one promise you think you're going to be the one he's going to start that with he's never broken a promise yet The last one, and again, this is just to, just to offer to you for further study, is that when you're going through these storms and these kind of problems, 
One author writes this and says that we need to go to the Psalms. The early church fathers and those that are, um, the early church in general, considered the Psalms a school of prayer. Considered them like a workout gym so that you actually get more exercised in the things of Christ. And so he says this, that speaking of Jonah, that the Psalms lead us out of ourselves to rescue our prayers from self-absorption and set us on the way to God responsiveness. Jonah, Jonah's prayer is kicked off by his plight, but is not reduced to it. His prayer took him to a world far larger than his immediate experience, and he was capable of a prayer that was more adequate to the largest of the God with whom he was dealing. Now, I'm all for spontaneous prayer, and I'm all for crying out. And one of my favorite prayers is, oh God, oh God, oh God. But that's in the Bible too. Did you know that? They pray like that too. And the Psalms trains us. The Psalms have trained Christians through the centuries. And what I mean by that is in the belly of the whale, the Psalms were so in the belly of the fish, just to be accurate. Uh, the, <laughs> apologies. Sunday school always said whale, but anyways. Um, the, in the belly of the fish, when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, his prayer that's recorded, and I have that there for you, not one word was original. They all came from Scripture. Not one. They all came from the Psalms. Is that not crazy? And should that not invite us into an example is to have Scripture memorization more than just what our spontaneity wants in the moment? I find, personally, that if I only stay in spontaneous prayer, that it does lead to self-absorption really quickly. I heard a, 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 a man very dear to my heart at one point say and confess to the church, how can I pray for all your problems? I have so many problems of my own. But we're getting caught up in something of the largeness of who God is. And Jonah, Jonah quotes in the belly of the whale, I would think that he'd rock a prayer like, oh God, oh God, oh God. That's what I think I would do. Or why, why? Seriously, why? But no, what does he do? He looks at the very way that God has worked with the people in the past and how he's answered their prayers. How he's answered their prayers. In the Psalms, the Bible says that God keeps every tear in bottles, in his jars. Every tear that we cry in a jar. And that it's in Psalms 46, I believe. And that he counts every one of our tossings. That kind of God that's so attentive to us, it'd be good to know how many have prayed to him all this time and learn how to engage with him. The God who has never changed. The God will continue to let the precedent of how he's operated with the people in the past, his people in the past, to be precedent with how he's going to operate with us. We can expect it. And we can then keep our eyes attentive to the new way he's coming towards us which will look different than the way he's come to us in the past. Often we like past moments because they were beautiful. But we need to be attentive to the way that he's moving towards us now and the way that he's leading us towards in the coming days. better it's funny how the the spirit just rests on different things 
mean, the notes are pretty much the same. They're more, <laughs> more concise, but... <laughs> um, well, well wait, bear with us for just a few more minutes. Uh, it's with five... There's my old man gaze. I can't see the glow. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody tweet that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's take just a quick, a quick break so you can stretch, and then I want to uh, set aside some time for question and answers, question and answer session with Sam. Might, we may just have 15 minutes or so um, before, so we'd be able to take a couple of questions, but, uh, but I know it's 9 o'clock, almost 9 o'clock, and brains get tired around now. So um, let, just take a few minutes, uh, stretch out, use the restroom if you need to, and then we'll call, we'll call back. And so if you have some questions about things that, brought up, the things that Sam brought up, things that are going on, um, keep them in, in mind and don't leave the moment. And we'll come back in about five minutes. are video recording all of the live sessions and the intent is to have them up on the up on a super school website sometime throughout the year for everybody to refer back to to watch again if you if you want to or those things I want to have all of this stuff available for you uh, but that's that is something we're working on So I, I just want to make sure we had a couple minutes to, to ask questions of Sam uh, before we call it an evening. So if you have a question, uh, something that was brought up or something that you went, oh, I want just maybe a little bit more in that, um, let's, let's do that. So it, just raise your hand if you have a question. Something. You don't have to have a question. You don't have to, no, but if you do... Yeah, yes, he does. Questions? Yes. Sam, when Bishop Todd was here, he mentioned that um, John Wimber might have been considered a movement. What, because he's more recent, what would have made his life, like what would parallel a shift? Something different we weren't expecting. Oh. Like when he came. That's good. Uh, as best I understand, and there's, there's people in here probably could encounter it better, uh, but I believe Come Holy Spirit was, uh, I know Lonnie Frisbee began that, uh, but that was really uh, pivotal. Can you keep nodding if, if I'm moving away? Uh, but, uh, um, the, but I believe that was pivotal uh, in what began a movement. It was the expectation and anticipation of the Holy Spirit's activity now uh, to come for healing. Uh, so John, John Wimber was a part of uh, rewriting the song, O Lord, You're Beautiful. And he wrote, O Lord, You're Beautiful, um, you, uh, you're, you're great. Your, your face is all that I seek, yeah. And when your eyes are on this child, your healing I receive. Emphasis on healing and the anticipation of his healing now. His healing coming now. Uh, and many people, even when he was preaching and teaching at the, uh, at the, at his, uh, the university that he was at, uh, just began to get cram-packed because they had encounters with Christ in power. Uh, and so there's, there's amazing things got birthed through the Vineyard Movement 
uh, and uh, even mu- much of the songs that have influenced uh, much of the worship to this day came as a result. And I mean, some of that was super local. That was just in Langley. So, I mean, like, there's, there's stuff that was beautiful there, but I believe it was just the anticipation of the new way that Jesus was anticipating coming into the vineyard at that time uh, was a complete expectation that shook a lot of normal uh, way of doing church. Other questions? Uh, just uh, wanted to kind of expand more on the compassion of the compassion of like Jesus had compassion on everybody that he talked to, but also he wants to know that we care, right? That's kind of what you were saying in one part there, where you you like he wants to know that we care. We want to. He wants us to put into it and and get into it so that we can understand it, right? Is that's kind of what I'm getting from you? Uh, yeah. Um. That very often, uh, it's like God tests our hearts. And the word test can sound scary, uh, but it's test to prove and improve. Uh, just as a, as a fun uh, understanding, is the word in the Greek, uh, periosmos, uh, encapsulates test and temptation. Same word. So, um, uh, so some scholars would write that, that you're, when you look at the word, um, when Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, and he teaches us to pray that way, that it might be better for our understanding because we're far removed from that language. Um, something like, Lord, as you lead us to the test, let the test not become a temptation that we might be deceived by the twisting wiles of the evil one. That you would say, that you would look at the very way that God's coming at us in a test to prove and improve us and not let it become a temptation. Because the Bible says God doesn't tempt anybody. But he tests us uh, in order to reveal what's really in our heart, what we really long for. I believe there's testing going on right now in the area. Are we really going to believe Jesus' promises? Are we really going to seek him day after day in anticipation? Are we really going to rightly receive him? And those, those tests are there because it's only in the tests do we know. It's not like he doesn't know. Our hearts are open to him. But do we know? And we come to grab a hold of that. Um, I've never really understood this story about the Syrophoenician woman and why um, Jesus seems to insult her that way. And I still don't think I quite get it. So could you say a bit more about that? Um, yeah, so um, without, without going through the whole thing, if you look at the, the, the moments and kind of movements of uh, the way Jesus comes towards her, uh, is that, is that he's, he's doing something He's acting in such a way that he is intending for her to perceive something different than what he's saying. So he's testing her. He's doing something that's going to prove and improve her. He's inviting her into something that isn't something readily available. Jesus came for the Jews. Seraphonician woman wasn't Jewish, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, because uh, this might be helpful for the context, uh, the he says to her when um, she tells the servants to do whatever he says and turn the water into wine, he says to her, woman, like, why are you doing this before my time? That woman wasn't an insulting term. It's not like a, who are you? 
He just goes, why are you pressing me before it's time? Jesus was very on time with things. And it was the woman's response, the woman's response that initiated Jesus' action that way. That he intended to get at something in her. How does she really, does she really believe? Or is she just asking? Just going up to him just like she would any other God. Is she asking him? Or is she just going, hey, miracle worker, can you do something for me? She's going towards him. And, 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 so, and he proves that she was going towards him and him alone. Going, oh, whatever you say, whatever you say, here I am. The story of Hezekiah, uh, the king Hezekiah, uh, the prophet of Israel comes to him. Very, very, very famous prophet. Uh, and comes to him and says, you're dead. It's over. And Hezekiah turns to the wall, weeps bitterly. And as the prophet is leaving Hezekiah's house, God says, go back on what you just said, basically. I got new orders. <laughs> he has to go in there, which would have been an embarrassing moment for the prophet. Because if you're wrong, you're stoned. But anyways, that's a, <laughs> and not BC stoned. How are we stoning? Uh, but uh, but, but he, he has to go back in there and he, and he says, you got 15 more years. God saw you. He saw you. He wept, he wept there and he turned his face and he, Hezekiah cried out to God in that moment. It was God that he wanted. And that's again an example for us. Same way with this Seraphonician woman. Thank you. Affirmation feels great, I'm not going to lie. I'm just, no, just, <laughs> no, no, it just does. Just think, oh, that felt nice. Any other questions? I just want to finish with a random story real quick, if I can. Um, I, I, I shared it this morning, and I feel like I, it might be helpful to share it right now. Uh, but early on in our, our youth ministry, um, uh, we, I began preaching about uh, how Jesus heals. And uh, we were longing for it. We were just praying for Jesus to heal. And so this was, this was many years ago. So probably almost eight years ago now. Uh, and we didn't know, but we had a, we had a dentist. Uh, he's a medical doctor, but a dentist uh, in our uh, in our in our church, and he was he's there, and we didn't know what was going on with him. But he interrupt my interrupted my sermon, uh, and there wasn't a lot of us. There's maybe maybe thirty or forty of us, and uh, and so we we we're, we're all kind of like, uh, you don't do that. Like, why are you interrupting our sermon? Uh, and uh, and so, um, but I, but I, but I listened, and uh, and and, he, and during my sermon, I said that God heals wrists, that God can heal anything, but I said wrists in particular, like wrist, in particular. And that day he had just told his whole practice that he was about to fade out of dentistry. And he was going to stop because it was too painful for him. And he said, he said like, I just, I can't do it anymore. And, uh, and, and, and particularly, he can't do wisdom teeth that way. And, he's, and because of his uh, expertise, he was able to um, do wisdom teeth very uniquely that you wouldn't have to go to an orthodontist. You just go to him and he'd be able to do it for a quarter of the price because orthodontists are very expensive. And, uh, and so he would be able to help people that way and he often would um, do that. And so he, he was there and he, he stood up and he said, does God heal wrists? Uh, and, I, and I said, yeah, like, yeah. And he goes, can you pray for me now? I was like, oh, no. Like I hadn't seen like a physical healing like that like to not really anyways not like that I've seen other people do it but I was like really now and so we prayed and he was healed in that moment 
He felt the presence of God healed in that moment. And then, he, then somebody else goes, like, you're a dentist? Because he gave the story. He goes, you're a dentist? He goes, my brother needs uh, his wisdom teeth pulled and we have no money. They're on welfare, fatherless kind of family, no money. And he goes, oh, I'll do it for free. Now in, in charismatic circles, we might have wanted it to look like, well, if God healed the wrist, why doesn't he just heal the teeth? Greater story. Not greater story. Because the proof of the healing of the wrist came in him doing the one surgery was very difficult for him to do. And he did it and he did it joyfully and did it for free. That kid, as a result, continued to do incredible things and share this testimony of God that healed the dentist's wrist so that his wisdom teeth could be pulled out. Just as glorious, just as beautiful. Then Jesus brought me through a bit of a season at that point where the only thing I could ever heal was wrists. Like, and I'm not saying I heal and whoa. I mean, like, that's all he'd let me do. And it's like everybody on the planet had wrist problems. And it, it was probably about between six to 10 different wrists, physical, like, like medical like stuff. They just go like, doctor says, like, I have carpal tunnel and it's never going to be healed. And, and I can't even turn a thing. And we go try to turn it, can't turn it. And then they do it. Jesus would heal. And they were simple prayers. But you know what I began to do? began to think that I, maybe I'm the body of Christ, I'm the wrist guy. Maybe in the body of Christ, that's just what I get to do. It's like, here, just bring me your wrist, I'll do it. Here we go, that's all I got. You have a leg problem? <laughs> Sorry, Jesus, can't help you here. At least not here. Can help you maybe over there. But I began to have these weird ideas, and I began to look for Jesus only in the same way. Only in the same way. Yet Jesus was coming to me differently. And I still remember, still remember Jesus turning off the proverbial tap when it came to wrists in my life. Go, nah, -uh, not anymore. Not because he had no compassion on the person. No, he's doing something with me, testing me. What am I going to do? Am I going to be praying harder and just think it's about my, my certain words or maybe I haven't lived right that week? Or was Jesus doing something in my life in that way, coming at me in a testing way? Because it was super embarrassing when I wasn't able to see Jesus do it. I was embarrassed. <laughs> and I literally felt as I walked away, Jesus go, so why were you embarrassed? Why are you embarrassed? Thought I did those healings. All right, yeah, <laughs> there, you, there you go. Right, I know, it's, I know it's, it's all funny and awkward when you're exposing it in front of people. That was my heart. <laughs> like, it hurt. And, I, and Jesus was showing something about who he is. It was very beautiful. And I'll never forget it. And some of that led me to begin to study this stuff. See, how else did Jesus do that to others? How did he do that to those in scripture? And I just love reading the stories of how he did it with the revivalists. Oh boy, those are stories. Make sure you pay attention to them. And remember the painful ones. There's a tendency that we read stories like, yeah, yeah, let's get on to the good juicy stuff. Let's get on to the stuff where the, all the miracles happen. Really watch the pain points. Points where they just feel like they're slamming their head against the floor. It's going, Jesus, where are you? And then see what happens after. It's good. Okay, I would love to pray for you. So, Father, we, I thank you for each and every person in this room. I bless you for the new ways that you're coming towards us. The way that you're pressing on our hearts. May we be pleasing in your sight. May the beauty of who you are captivate us. 
And may we never be dissuaded from the ways you're coming towards us. And may fear never block us from seeing you clearly. Jesus, I pray that this, this supernatural school year would be unlike any other. That we'd be attentive to you. Receive you rightly. Be drawn into glorious places of worship. Be not too familiar with those that we've been walking with for a while. Or think what good could come from the people in this room. For you have glorious destinies lined up. Glorious promises that people hold in this place. And so I pray that you release them. That in your time that you would bring them to pass. And we'd be anticipating you the whole way. In Jesus' name. Amen.